the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we dive into all things nutrition, fitness, and health related. I'm your host, Brandon Woolley, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe. Hello. Today's guest, we have from Personally Fit, Coach Chris. How you doing today? Good to see you, Brandon. Yeah, you too. To get things kicked off, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I was the youngest of eight, and I was a fat, unathletic kid. So you know what that kind of does to you. Um, in sixth grade, I slimmed down and got into fitness, but later made some big mistakes on my nutrition and exercise program to make weight for wrestling. And I was a successful wrestler and became a college All-America, but I needed to learn more about nutrition and proper training to help myself. And with that, I started helping a lot of my friends. Even in high school, I was getting my girlfriends and my buddies to work out, getting them to clean up their eating, and then got into it as a business. I really enjoy helping people and like getting people who've never been successful at fitness. So that's over 30 years experience? Yes. That's about how old I am, Chris. It's <laughs> amazing. And I keep learning too. And you know, there's always something to learn and relearn. That's awesome. What are your, some of your biggest sources of learning new information? I will do a lot of reading. I love jo- oh, fitness, yeah, yeah, yeah. nutrition. Precision coach. nutrition. You bet. Precision nutrition. I have a certification from there. That whole behavior change model is really something special and great for us too, because it helps us make changes too. You talked about habits and the Phoenix and making changes. That is so much about making changes and habits that stick. You talked about sustainability in your intro. And one of the big things with the science of habit changes that got me, you know, kind of where we went wrong in the fitness industry is we kind of think, gee, they can't, this person's really successful and they can't stick to a nutrition plan or a fitness plan. What is going on is understanding the power of habits. So many people in the fitness industry want to do things with white knuckled willpower, hard regimens, hard fitness regimens that aren't realistic, big changes in their nutrition all at once that they can't stick with instead of one habit that they can be successful at and then build a new habit on. And before you know it, by the end of the year, they have a bunch of different habits and have transformed their life and their habits. Absolutely. Just like uh, that compound effect. Exactly. Uh, and we're both reading that Darren Hardy book again, uh, the compound effect. But but it's the same way, I think, with that building approach. Because if you overhaul everything, it lasts two weeks, and then you're right back where you started. And a lot of people feel guilt and shame out of fitness when they don't succeed at it. And that's what really bogs them down. I always tell everybody, it's kind of crazy that you feel guilt about fitness or not eating right. And the only thing sinful in America is dessert with everything we got going on in the world. Good grief. (laughs) (laughs) I try to take the shame and the emotion out of it. So even with that, an example would be something I teach. It's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. So maybe do some journaling, maybe journaling, maybe see a counselor, maybe to go to a recovery group, something to get in touch with your emotions, why you are uh, eating out of emotion. Right. So that cognitive part is just so, so important. I was talking to a friend who does clinics all over the place and and he's using uh, cognitive behavioral therapy quite a bit. Yeah. CBT is great. Great. But a person has to be willing to do it. Right. Right. And just so we can give the listeners a quick overview, you know, I, I know how I do it. How would you implement that with the client? Implement the, the mindset the C- the part. The CBT. Okay. So, uh, cause that's a big hot topic. You bet. Right now. A lot of open-ended questions. Yep. And instead of me telling them what to do, ask them, what do they think they should do? Yep. A lot of people have their own answers. 
A lot of people aren't willing to implement them. Now, even if they have the answers, sometimes they don't have the actions to do that. So you have to guide them so they can figure out what that is. Let's say for an example, uh, somebody wants to eat better. That's not one quest, one, one thing they need to work on. It's hundreds of things from learning how to shop to learning how to cook, to learning how to eat slower, to learning portion control. Correct. Correct, So, so, so helping them find those answers and then say, let's just work on this for now until they master it and then take on some other behaviors. Absolutely. I just downloaded a chart that I've been using. It's a flow chart. Mm -hmm. And so it starts with external stimuli, which you can't change. Once that input's received, there's two paths. You have the negative thought pattern. So let's say I have a busy schedule. So your thought pattern is, let me just grab something quick, which typically leads to the behavior of going through the drive-through. And then the outcome is you feel like crap. Right. So with CBT, we would then say, well, let's reverse engineer this. How would you want to feel? Exactly what you said. Well, I don't want to feel like crap. I want to feel awesome. All right. So what behavior needs to have to feel so better eating? All right. So what thought pattern needs to happen to create better eating? Um, and we'll reverse it that way. So I, I love, love what you're saying because that thought pattern's key is learning how to reframe your own thoughts. I think most people, for whatever reason, maybe it's the fallen world, but if we're honest with ourselves, unless we've trained ourselves up, we usually move down a negative pathway with a lot of our, our thought patterns. We have to train ourselves to think better and, and think in a way that we're going to help ourselves. So right out of the box, we have to decide we love ourselves enough to make those changes. Right. Now, the biggest hurdle I've encountered again and again and again is once we've established what the replacement thoughts is, it's in the moment realizing the path you're on and doing something about it. Have you found anything that helps people realize that in the moment, go, wait, this is the wrong thought pattern. Uh, What has worked for you and your clients? So I'm always using the term, make things simple, easy, and effective. So I want them to make the best choice in the situation. They still might go in the fast food restaurant, but they might get a chicken sandwich and throw the bun away. Yeah. Yeah, and that's better. Make a better decision and then just keep building on that. That's the ideal, but also anticipate, plan and strategize. So meal prepping, not maybe for the whole week like you would have bodybuilders do. Although I had a client come in today who's real serious, came in Monday and showed me his whole stack of lunches and snacks he's going to have at work because he works about 70 hours a week and he stuck to it. So I gave him a lot of positive feedback. So that's the other thing, part of that cognitive behavior therapy is we got to give people positive feedback and they got to give themselves positive feedback. We often do not celebrate our victories enough. I agree. And, you know, I think so. when I first started out, I would give people uh, goals for an entire week and they would do good for two or three days, fall off the wagon and then come in defeated. So what I'd like to transition to is just two or three days or smaller goals. I think that makes a lot of sense. What I do is I, if I pick a behavior that I want, they want to work on, not just me, because I want them to pick their goals. I may guide them and coach them, but I want them to have the goals. And I might list five out of these, what do you think you can improve on? And which one on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're positive, you can be successful. You got to be at a nine or 10 to choose this behavior. Because yeah. if you're not, you're only going to last two or three days. This is sounding a lot like precision nutrition. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But it's very successful stuff and it works and it passed the test of time. And precision nutrition continues to hone what they do. Yeah. Their latest edition, I didn't even recognize yeah. Uh, so one of my clients actually decided to purchase the, the program and, and learn themselves, which is awesome. Right, right. Well, yeah. I, I did the same thing. So I got certified and then I went through the program also. Yep. And you could do it. Uh, you could purchase the program and share it with your clients 
that which at much reduced price from th- going straight to them. And I went through it. And it's interesting. One of the things they encourage you to do is decide that you were a beginner. And so you had to relearn some behaviors, even though I knew them and had more knowledge than the average person going at it from that perspective. Two things for me in the last four years, maybe five years, I often am not motivated to exercise. Wow. So I need to hire one of my coaches to do it or have my son who used to be a coach with me come in and work out with me or get a friend or, or work out in one of our group workout sessions. And that also opened a lot of insights to me about, hey, you got to work out and you don't feel like it. Most people, that's true. Yeah. That's why they fall off. They don't feel like it. So learning to create habit over emotion. I always tell everybody willpower is like gas. It passes quickly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when you are in these lulls, uh, so you're saying that having a coach or somebody to push you is... Absolutely. Well, I believe in in coaching. So why wouldn't I go purchase right. some because yeah. I believe in it for my clients. I've, and when I travel or something, I will go to a gym that has coaching, even if it's in a group workout, just yeah. to experience that and get learn, maybe learn something new or relearn something or just to get pushed through a workout a little more, which yeah. I enjoy a good hard workout. Yeah. I think novelty helps me a lot. Yeah. I love those programs. Athlete X comes out with Jeff oh, Cavalier. He's fun to watch. Oh my God. Oh gosh. He's fun. So, so those really help. He's got all kinds of stuff and, and that's, that's a great motivator. You learn new t- techniques. Sure. It just keeps you engaged and interested. So changing up well, your routine. Well, he, is- he has a great product there on YouTube and to watch his stuff is always fun, but there's a lot of good stuff too. And I'll look at that for variety. I love Elite FTS. Great, great oh, uh, check website. That out. I don't yeah. know that one. A lot of great coaches on there. And of course, T Nation, yeah. which has a lot of great coaches. And, and there's just something to read. A lot of people don't want to, in the new in the industry, don't realize training came from bodybuilding. So there's still a lot of great information. Even a lot of the great nutrition plans that people are following now. Like Menser. Yeah. Was still coming from bodybuilders who were practicing protein, veggies, little bit of healthy starches along the way to get lean or no starches. These, you know, the extra protein, the uh, fiber, the a lot of water, et cetera, et cetera. Now, while we're we're on the bodybuilding subject, what are some of your thoughts about putting on too much muscle and mTOR and creating more inflammation and and lowering life expectancy? Uh, I I, I think there's something to all of that, but I don't think it's anything that we have to really worry about with our client base. Yeah, my my goal is never to get huge. I just, I want to leave, I want to be functional. I want to be healthy and look good. I want to be big. Yeah, amen. I want to be big as muscular as I can, but I'm working out three times a week for 45 minutes. I'm not going to become a bodybuilder. And a lot of a great physique is genetics. doesn't matter what people say and or steroids or both, <laughs> but, but a highly motivated person can change their body a lot. Rarely do we see somebody too muscular. My son is really muscular. He's got a great genetic blend of my wife and I, and he was more muscular than most seniors in high school when he was 12 or 13 Wow! and has competed at bodybuilding and so forth. But that is a genetic gift. And then he's also likes to train. Yeah, yeah, but you have to like to train that hard for, for most of our clients. Yes, they need to be pushed and make it progressive, not make them miserable over time. They're working harder and harder, but to get into those really programs, you're talking about mTOR or anything. We probably don't have to worry about that for most of our clients unless they want to go that direction. I have a highly motivated client who is um, actually in Hollywood right now. Oh, wow. Having the opportunity to try out possibly to be Wolverine or somewhere else in the uh, Marvel Universe in the upcoming <laughs> oh, movies. Wow. That's amazing. He's lost 13% body fat since August and gained about 10 pounds of muscle. Wow. So it's lost six inches in his waist. But he's an exception because he's super motivated. So getting sore, doing all that sticking to his nutrition plan, taking his whey protein, his omega-3s, his other supplements that are healthy for him. 
you know, but that's not the average person. Right. Uh, let's talk about probably somebody you come across a lot. This is probably my b- most basic client would be uh, women post-pregnancy mm-hmm. who wants to lose 30 or 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think it takes for them on a consistent plan to, to see progress? Can you kind of outline what, and I know it's catered specific to individuals, but what would workout requirements look like? What kind of dietary changes? I think one of the big things is to slow them down because they want to lose it like that. Give them a realistic expectation because the same behaviors that they do to lose weight should be the same behaviors they do to keep the weight off. Right. So I'm going to teach them that strength training is number one for body transformation. Okay. So they need to be strength training two to three times a week, non-consecutive days. I don't even mind starting people with two, but I like people doing three because if they miss one, they're still getting two. I never thought about that. That's so, great. So get them to schedule three. That's good advice. So if they miss one, they're doing at least two. Two, you'll still see results, especially if they've never done strength training. Well, I feel like the industry has has been so cardio focused. Oh but, yeah. But meanwhile, you know, there could be hormonal issues, thyroid problems, adrenal fatigue. And that might be something that they want to get a good a good blood workup too before workout yeah. to find some of some yeah. of that out because your hormones are out of whack after having a baby for sure. Yeah. It's so refreshing to hear you come in and, and to know that there's others out there doing it the right way. That yep. strength should be your number one focus. Well, a lot of females, especially, are scared of fats. Right. So they're eating a low fat diet, which also is going to mess up their hormones more because all your hormones are fat based or sterols. So yeah. progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, which women should have at about a hundred in their, on their blood panel. And if it's right, that'll help them lose fat properly too. And hold on to and or gain muscle. Yeah. We rarely have to worry about women gaining muscle because their T isn't high enough. Right. But if they can gain a couple pounds, it goes a long way. Yeah, it speeds up their metabolism. Bingo. That's the biggest reason because most women have to eat less than a man and have higher nutritional needs. So we want them to eat as much as they can and still lose fat. If you gain four pounds of muscle, that might be worth 100 to 400 extra calories a day for basal metabolism. Add that up over a week a month, a year. That's a lot of extra food. Uh, now, back in the day, they said 3,500 calories burned equal to pound. I think it's more like uh, 7,000 7, calories to burn. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot yeah. of the estimates are wrong on equipment and your body adapts so easily. Right. Once you start doing a lot more cardio, your body adapts to it. Yeah. And when you start looking at you know physiology and differences in mitochondria, I'm sure, sure. it's almost impossible to really guesstimate properly. I, I think so. And, and now, if you, where I really discovered this is in college, I used to have to lose weight for wrestling. But I, even losing weight, I was eating more than the cross-country runners. Oh, yeah. Because they became so efficient at all that cardio that they were only burning 70, 60 calories a mile instead of 125, 130 that I was burning when they were running. So again, they didn't have much muscle mass, but they adapted to it because it became so efficient. So again, teaching somebody to do stuff they're not so good at. Not dangerous, but not so good at. Instead of always doing the same cardio, mix it up with stuff you're not used to. That will also give you a better calorie burn. The other thing, I would get somebody trying to do something on their off days, be it 20 minutes of walking, calming down, and at least three meals a day. I think three meals is great. I would prefer three in a snack or three and two snacks, the harder they train. I always tell the people, don't stuff, don't starve. Yeah. And if they do a food log, I don't want them reducing half of it. I want them making a few changes. And usually that's going to be on the positive side. Hey, I didn't see any colorful vegetables in here. Let's get in here. And for breakfast, you're not having any protein. What would you like for a protein? 
Let's get something there. And then just build on those habits over time. Yeah. So, so yeah, good question. I get flooded with people that are like, ah, I want to do intermittent fasting. And I think there's a ton of benefits, but what are your parameters for when to use that, when not to use that? What do you tell clients? If they want to do it, I'm going to help them do it the best way possible, in my opinion. But honestly, that's not that sustainable of a program for, for most people that are busy. I like my people eating breakfast and the research behind breakfast is huge because if your day gets busy and you miss breakfast, a lot of times you overeat and a lot of people get off their IM and they pig out on whatever they want. I've done that involuntarily to make weight for wrestling. Yeah, It's not great. Although I will, I think a 12 hour fast, eat dinner at six and don't eat breakfast till six is great. And that's just that, I wouldn't even call that IMing. I think that's just a good way to go. Give yourself about 12 hours, which is much more common for our grandparents yeah. than it is for us. American habits are... Little or no breakfast, a little bit of lunch, piece of junk food, big dinner, and snack till we go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> so stop eating after, after dinner, eat a bigger breakfast, I think is, to me, a much more sustainable habit. But there are huge health benefits to, to IMing. If somebody has type 2 diabetes or a high blood sugar or some other things they need to work on to lower their inflammation, there's a reason to do it. So let's learn about that and do it the best way you can do it. I don't think it's the... Um, the all in all way to go for everybody. Right. And again, it's not sustainable. If a busy person has a busy day, I always, this is my opinion, fuel during the day and diet at night. Especially a lot of my women clients have issues getting enough calories in. And if they're moms or if they're busy and there's a high likelihood they're going to skip lunch, at least they got breakfast in. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to agree completely with that. Dittos to that. If you got a good breakfast, a protein-based breakfast to stabilize that blood sugar and enough calories up front. And actually, there's plenty of research out there. You can find people on a reduced calorie diet. Their biggest meal was breakfast. Second biggest was lunch. Smallest was dinner. Yeah. Reversed, they lost more weight on the breakfast, bigger breakfast than yeah. the other one, and got all the biomarkers yeah. improved a lot more too. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe some of Stephen Gundry's information can help explain that. But another benefit of eating less at night is more blood flow can go to restoring brain health and yep. muscle repair as yep. opposed to digesting what's still sitting in your stomach. I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Now to play devil's advocate, you know one of the benefits of a of either holding off on carbohydrate earlier in the day is you keep insulin down lower. And sure. In theory, you could burn more fat and that's the whole intermittent mm -hmm. fasting benefit. Mm -hmm. So I kind of do what, what I call carbomittent fasting. I still eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. I just uh, try not to have any carbohydrate until post-workout or later in the day. I, I think that's, that's probably for anybody who's struggled with their weight for any time in their life, eating their carbohydrates or before and or after their workout is probably the best bet. Yeah. I often just have eggs and spinach for breakfast. Yeah. Maybe eggs and spinach and avocado once in a while. Yeah. So, so, so I'm doing that too. I think controlled carbohydrate makes a lot of sense. And yeah. we don't need our glycogen stores filled. Glycogen stores, for you, those of you who aren't uh, fitness nuts like us, or the sugar in your muscles, uh, that was pushed on by athletes during the 90s that you had to fill your glycogen stores up. Actually, it's a very unnatural state to be in because if you eat more carbohydrates and yours, yours are full, theirs are going to cause some uh, high blood sugar and then also become lipids and maybe raise inflammation and therefore cholesterol. Yeah, so long-term, you could be looking at maybe some insulin resistance right. and liver right. issues, right? Right. So, so that makes so, sense. So one thing I love to do for the people who are willing, and I do it for myself, not every day, but I also like to go out and, and get a walk or do some light cardio in the morning on, in a fasted state. There's research all saying this isn't true. Yeah, you're not going to perform your better, but it's about making yourself more insulin sensitive, right. which is a good state to be in. And if they can do it outdoors, now we're getting vitamin D. Um, that's helping with circadian rhythm, which is going to help 
serotonin and and uh, melatonin release at night and all kinds of stuff. So getting outdoors is essential. Vitamin D deficiency is probably the biggest deficiency in America. But you understand how the medical industry talks about a deficiency. Here's the normal range, and that range has lowered over years. So they still take a median. But if you're at the low end, you're still okay. No, you're not. You want to be optimal. I want to be optimal. I don't want to be okay. Yeah, because normal is that's the average of a diseased population. (laughs) That's exactly correct. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because as a kid, I used to think, man, I'm just like everybody else. I'm getting C's. I'm doing great. I was was really happy in elementary school being a C student. student. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever, everybody's different and they're going to respond differently to all these, but they're all going to respond positively. Yeah, I think one of the things we don't know is the dose response of exercise for some people can't tolerate a lot of exercise. And I have some seniors in their 70s and 80s, and I'm always amazed how little they have to do to see results. And so instead of starting here, I always start at a minimum and then we build on there and they don't need to do a ton more. But I've had some people that couldn't even walk. They were using a walker and a wheelchair and one workout a week. One workout a week, one workout a week. Before you know it, they're, they're getting rid of their walker. They're doing more activity on their own. So they're building on their own fitness because they've become more active. Uh, but they don't need hardcore programs. And that's a big problem in our industry is a lot of our industry pushes hardcore programs for everybody. They're not appropriate for everybody. Should like they be progressive? and like P90X yeah, and yeah. those kind of things? That's why they're yeah. only six weeks. I did insanity, and then I got knee surgery shortly after. <laughs> now, it had a little to do with my marathon habit, too, but um, the combination so, just wasn't So good. there's two huge things in our industry. One, uh, I always remind people about marathons. What happened after the first marathon? He died. Bingo. Fell dead. <laughs> and then we decide, hey, we're going to cross train. We're going to start doing triathlons, and we're just going to overtrain in three other areas. <laughs> Don't tell me that those people are healthier than you or I, because they're not. They may be more fit in quotation Cardiovascularly fit, but that much cardio often leads to sinus infections, and it's a huge stressor. Plus, it gives you a huge endorphin kick you need, and if you don't get that, a lot of times you're depressed. And I've even been to that point where, man, I'm feeling low because I didn't work out for two or three days. Yeah. But if you're used to working out all the time, yeah. that's that's unnatural. Now, something else I have uh, did a little bit of research on, nothing super in-depth, but my understanding is chronic long-distance cardio builds up scar tissue in the right ventricle of the heart, and these marathoners are dropping a heart attacks. I know three people, that, uh, lifelong marathoners, all with heart, heart disease. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen some of that research. I think the biggest thing is that much exercise is just such a stressor. Yeah. If you have that many stressors, which lifting is also, you need to have that recovery time. Right. And runners rarely take time off. I was afraid to. I was addicted. You get that runner's high, the endorphins, and Mm -hmm. then you're like, well, if I take this day off, will I take another day off? I I don't think that's uncommon in our industry. Yeah. And we can't understand why other people don't like to work out. So kind of the the precision nutrition approach, one of the things that I got exposed to is why can't people be successful? And again, I think it's people do too much too soon with a lot of rules. And they yeah. can't stick to it, so they feel like failures. Yeah. But then every January or spring, they try to do it again, and they just compound their problems. They may lose some weight doing one of these programs. Then they gain it back plus some because they've often over-cardioed, lost muscle along the way. Remember the biggest loser. The average muscle mass lost was like 35 pounds on those people. Oh, some wow. of their basal metabolisms um, slowed down to like 800 calories a day. 
Yeah, so that's... They have no choice but to gain weight back. Wow. Right, because uh, they, they would have to continue to, to reduce their food intake to maintain because all of that lean muscle tissue was gone. Yep. Um, that was metabolically active. So, so you've met Haley Gray at our group. Yeah. So Haley's lost 140 pounds. Yeah. 53 with us before her surgery. She's a wonderful web designer. Right, right. Yeah. right. And she, yeah. we got her lifting weights yeah. about six months before her surgery. Well, her size she's wearing... She wasn't at the size she is now. Last time she was there, she was 50 pounds lighter. Wow. Which tells you the power of muscle because a pound of muscle is about a third of the size of a pound of fat. Yeah. And, and, and over Thanksgiving when she ate more, she lost more weight. So oh, wow. eating at her max, which is still a reduced calorie diet, you know, still helps her. I have a client that's going to rejoice when she hears this episode. You know, we were, we were talking today, but she, like every time she'd finally give in and like eat a bunch of Oreos, she would lose weight. And it was just because of that calorie deficit yeah. was way too low. That, um, that's huge. So, yeah. so I, I think that's one of the biggest things. If, if you can get somebody to do a food log, you can count calories on it or guesstimate, or you can do portion sizes, whatever. But- you don't want somebody who their normal, say their normal caloric intake is 2,500 going to 1,200. That doesn't, and that's very common. And for women, that's very common every spring. And for men too, they're going to lose muscle. They're going to lose energy. They may lose some weight on the scale, but they're going to gain it back and usually more fat back because they lost two or three pounds of muscle along the way. So a 500 caloric calorie deficit, I think is a great place to start on in a day, but just, just that sweet spot where you're not hungry all the time. You can perform better. You can sleep. Because if you get a real caloric deficit, you have a hard time sleeping. You get what I call hangry. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get hangry. <laughs> so yesterday I spoke at an elementary school to a group of kids, and I, I spoke about persistence, perseverance over perfection. And part of that is a lot of people want a perfect diet, perfect exercise program. And unless they're doing it perfect, they feel like failures. Well, trying to do something with a lot of rules and doing it perfect leads to failure because life's going to happen. So sometimes you have to just do the best you can with what you got. A 15 minute workout is going to be better than no workout. Right. Right. Eating the chicken at the fast food restaurant is better than not eating your protein and going six more hours without eating. If you got a busy day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Sean Stevenson. I don't know if you ever check out the bottle health show. Uh, he's got, he always tell this analogy him at the airport when he was into super clean water and he's like, they don't have the right kind of water. So <laughs> I'm not going to drink. So he's dehydrated in the plane, the pressurized cabin, and he does all that. And there's so much stress on his body. He's like, I should have just drank the stupid water. Yeah. <laughs> of course, so. you know, and our bodies are pretty amazing, can do pretty well. Now, obviously we want to put the best things we can in it, but there's a degree to that. And the research it's back and forth there, you know, should you get grass-fed or not grass-fed? I like grass-fed, but I don't like the price of grass-fed, so right. I don't buy it all the time. I do supplement with omega-3s, and the research on that is all over the place, but we definitely are not getting enough omega-3s, I would say, and there's a lot of, you know, variable research on omega-3s, but we used to get a lot more omega-3s. It makes sense to supplement with that, in my opinion. So, yeah, supplements are there on top of a good diet, not taking the place of a good diet. Right. There's right. the other side. You see college guys get into working out and they're drinking their protein shakes, taking their creatine, but they eat pizza and burgers every day. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't Focus either. on the nutrition. And then <laughs> if you want a supplement, you can do that. So yeah, let, me, let me ask you guys a question. When do you think your guys' industry, like the health profession industry, kind of, but I think in American culture, the definition of diet changed to something that you add or take away for a short amount of time to see results. Whereas diet probably used to mean this is how you sustainably eat for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, the, 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 yeah, I think, I think probably 
Atkins, all this started. You do a short-term diet, short, short-term, uh, what does Garfield say? Diet is die with a T. <laughs> and most people think they should be miserable dieting. Yeah. And that's another kind of one of those strict rules. I mean, the biggest loser, uh, they're on VLCDs and working out six hours a day. They made that seem like that's the only way you're going to lose that kind of weight. That's what people think. You got to do ACL busting surgeries and do all this stuff. That's just not true. You need to be doing sustainable behaviors. And I think a lot of people like, you know, John Berardi brought in, hey, sustainable behaviors. And he started talking about this probably 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But it takes a while to get there because most people want those short-term things. For whatever reason, they're easy to sell. Six-week plan. Yeah. Uh, people get psyched up. They take a lot of emotion. And diet and losing weight and all that is a very emotional thing for a lot of people. I think just as a guy who has a background in like marketing, I think marketing had a lot to do Absolutely. with Absolutely. The way that you overpromise the results, the rhetoric that comes with it. Like if you do this and then you leave out all the bad stuff. This is the last diet you'll ever need and the last exercise program. Until next January, we'll sell you a different version of it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You guys were talking and it reminded me of a, of a book that I read not too long ago. It's called The Switch, but it was basically it had this notion in there that Self-control is an exhaustible resource. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, the regimen, what you're saying. You can only stick to it for so long. And what the book was trying to say or what I took from it was like, if it is, if self-control is an exhaustible resource, then I don't want to spend my exhaustible resource on food. Like so, I, I so want to spend it on something that is actually harder for me. Like, that, that is so important, Joe, because if you're doing something, you have to do something three to four times a day mm -hmm. and you got to spend that exhaustible resource yeah that doesn't make any sense you're out of willpower so by you have 2 to make it you're you have to make it <laughs> simple easy and effective for you to be successful yeah so you're not making those changes with willpower so mm -hmm. you you might have to take longer to get the results but you're going to get the results going straight and you're not going to exhaust yeah. yourself life is going to happen and if you can't that's when you should be going to fitness and healthy nutrition when right. life gets crazy instead of letting it go which is what most people do because they're doing it with willpower and you guys keep saying habits like habits actually when you do something for long enough that it becomes a habit, it doesn't take willpower anymore. Right. Bingo. It's all, it's it takes willpower to get started. Like it takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of steam to get a locomotive going. But once it's going, yeah. it doesn't cost you the same amount yeah. anymore. And I think that's what, that's the big part of why all the fad diets fail. And this might be a fun part uh, time to talk about myelination and how neurons and new pathways form in your brain so when you first have to do something different it, it like joe's saying it takes a lot of willpower because in your body's trying to grow a new connection yep. but and then every time you repeat it there's actually a coating called myelin a myelin sheath that thickens and strengthens that connection you guys are getting this that he's a fitness nerd right <laughs> <laughs> well all right so it's like going from dial up to cable yes so, so it's that cord and that connection gets stronger and thicker the more you do it until all of a sudden you have high speed internet it's you don't have to think about it you open your laptop you click mm -hmm. the button the page loads it's not driving your processor if you're a computer guy i'm not a computer guy but yes, um, you're, you're absolutely correct. Good and bad habits are the same thing. Right. So I'm talking to 13 and 14 year old yesterday. And that's one of the things I left, left them with this. I don't want you to just be a good, the things you do for yourself now, the habits you create now. So you'll be a good 13 and 14. I want you to be a good man. Yeah. And the habits you create now in your life are the ones that are going to dictate that. And that was kind of some of these kids' eyes bugged out of their head because nobody ever told them that, you know? Yeah. They just wanted to behave today, you know? Right. But I think that's that's really key. And I don't think there's a secret formula for habits, like 21 days. I think it could be a lot longer. I know for me, learning to eat slowly took me about three months. 
Yeah. You know, and I had to put stickies down and count every chew I had and yeah. every bite I had, a lot of different stuff. But once I did that, I haven't gone back. I just met you like last week. Yeah. You came over, we hung out for a bit and, uh, and you mentioned that in our conversation, like learning how to eat slower. And I've been trying to do it. And I've realized how I just woof my food yep. down. Because <laughs> you brought up just this really simple point that made a lot of sense. If you eat slower, you'll feel more satiated. Bingo. Oh, yeah. And so I overeat sometimes when I skip a meal or whatever. Yep. And so I, but I realized how hard it was. So I said, it took you three months. Like I get that for me because I just woof it down. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a lifetime. <laughs> it's, it's a lifetime of woofing it down. I'm the youngest of eight. People say, were you afraid somebody was going to steal it? Yes, I really was. <laughs> <laughs> so what, let's talk about some of the reasons why it's important to slow down. You know, like we have hunger cues and we have satiation cues and sometimes there's a delay, but also if you slow down eating, you could absorb the nutrients better. So it's not just what you eat, it's what you absorb. That's a great point because you're going to break down your food better. But there is actually some science behind the, the effect of chewing to raise your serotonin. No kidding. People chew gum all the time. Think huh. about it. That's so there's smart. actually some research there. The more you chew, the more you raise your, your serotonin. This has something to do with it. And I would say that probably makes a lot of sense. But my wife always says, enjoy the food, relax. And she has great habits and stays very lean. And of course, we've heard, you're a little young, but I definitely heard, you know, it takes 20 minutes to feel full. And that's something that was preached to us as kids. And like, yeah, right. Like I ever was at a table for 20 minutes. You know, I was yeah. three I'd, helpings down. I've actually three never minutes. heard that before yeah. in my well, life. There, there, is but that is a, there is That is very, that is what parents and grandparents said forever. And yeah. I don't know if they knew the science, but that's what they would say. Right. You won't know you're full till 20 minutes because there's a delay. There's a hormone that tells you you're full. Well, that just, that was like a light bulb moment for me. I don't think I've ever taken 20 minutes to eat a meal. And I don't think I have but. either, but I've gotten up to about 12 to 16 minutes. And it's, and it's been a game changer. Yeah. My wife says, who took my husband? Because we go out to eat and I don't finish my meal. About every other time we go out to eat, I don't finish my meal. Yeah. I would always finish my meal and then whatever she didn't finish and ask for some extra chips or bread or whatever, right. you know. Yep. And so it's a, it's a real game changer. So for me to put working pants on eating slower, that's 15 chews a bite. Yeah. And, and even if you say, I'm, I, I've just got to have Doritos today. You go ahead and chew one chip 15 times. You're not going to eat five handfuls. You're going to eat one handful and go, I've had enough, which is interesting. However, speaking about those neural patterns, a lot of junk food, this is a good topic, is uh, our hyper, hyper flavors you can't get in nature, and they are addictive. If you don't think they're addictive, watch a big person eat the things they eat. Oh, yeah. Watch the things I used to eat. Tortilla chips were one of my downfalls. I don't think until about three years ago, I ever went out to a restaurant and didn't eat two basketfuls of chips and just shoveled them. But I got away for about two months, made myself not eat them. And so your gut bacteria changes and stop, stops the cravings for them. Yeah. So now I can have them. And I go, eh, that's enough. That's really interesting. Is that across the board with all kinds of food? Because I, I sat down for a consult with Brandon. He started helping me out. Yeah, that's training. great. And we were talking about... Yeah, when are you going to show some muscle too? I yeah, was just wondering. I'm working on it. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing great. Yeah. But in the... In, we were doing like, well, how much do you eat every day? And it was the first time I really put it together with how much coffee I'd been drinking. Mm. I've been drinking a sick amount of coffee, like for as long as I can remember. I mean, like since back to high school, 10, 12 cups a day. Mm -hmm, Easy. Mm -hmm. And I worked jobs where there was like free Starbucks there. I had a lot of caffeine going in me sure. all the time. And, uh, and so he suggested, you know cool it off a little bit, maybe do a cup in the morning, et cetera. But I, my personality type is kind of like, screw it, I'm over it. So I decided no more coffee. So I haven't had coffee in like 
six weeks, but I tried to drink a cup like last week. And I think I told you about this. I poured it out. I couldn't even stomach it. It was Ooh. disgusting. <laughs> and it used to be my favorite thing on the planet. So then I thought, man, I'm going to put a little, I'm going to Irish this coffee up. It's like an after dinner thing. And I'm going to enjoy this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do Wasted it. Wasted the bourbon. Had to well, pour that out too. <laughs> well, I got over caffeinated today and I was flying high as a kite. I can do the same thing, but I, I don't, I think there's a limited amount of caffeine that can help you burn right. fat and so forth. In America, we use it just as a comfort food, something warm. Yeah. So we can have, you don't see other parts of the world drinking five, 10 cups of coffee a day. You know, we just, we scratch every itch we have in America. And I'm not putting you down for it because right. I do the same thing. But if we're just a little bored, go get a cup of coffee, just something mm -hmm. to sip on. You know, we don't need it. We're not, not even tired. Do. Just something to do, something we get a habit in. I think so, it is a comfort food. This week I started switching to, I'll just pour hot water out of the coffee machine. I don't even put tea in it anymore. Oh, Because huh? it is just the muscle memory <laughs> of having a warm cup. So, so, no so, but there is something to warm liquids to satiate your appetite. Mm. So for people trying to lose weight, get a hot cup of water with some lemon in it or a hot broth and eat that drink, eat or drink that before you eat a meal Yeah, because it heats up your body temperature a little bit. Yeah. You'll notice every <laughs> fine restaurant puts you in a chilled room. It's always one or two degrees cooler than you're comfortable because that makes you naturally hungrier. Hmm. Tells your hormones, tells your body, hey, it's cold. I should be eating. Because it generates energy to, to warm you up. Yep. 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 And, the, and so getting a little warm drops that down. So yeah. just mm -hmm. a little something to do. And, and all the other tricks that make you want to eat more. What are all the colors of all the fast food restaurants? Red and yellow. Boom. A little bit of blue. Boom. But the red and yellow in nature, that would signal your brain, hey, this, this has a high calorie, which will help you in time of famine. So we would. But we don't have any times of famine anymore. You yeah. know, we just have times of feast. Yeah, I tell people all the time, you're, you're storing fat for a famine that's never going to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really efficient, aren't I? <laughs> it looks like I'm not starving. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Those are all great topics. I want to go back to one of the things about for people to make big changes is, is I think it's so important for them. It's just to make sure that they realize they're worth it. I always, women are a great example, men too, but women, I always tease them. So the Bible teaches love others as you neglect yourself. And they go, yeah, no, but they often are putting themselves last from their kids to their husbands to everything. They're always last. And there is a place for self-sacrifice. I understand that, but you can't be at your best if you don't make yourself important. Because it is love others, you love yourself. And then you got to find out, do I really love myself? So that's always a good question because I think a lot of people don't know if they do. And that, that's a little self-discovery some, some, for some people. And I think love is the most powerful force in the world. You, love can change so many different things that you do for yourself, that you do for others, that you do for your country, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's something that isn't just an emotion. Yeah. It's something you're committed to. Right. Right. So that's where you start making yourself a priority, making time for yourself. Biggest thing people say they don't work out is because they don't have time. So maybe you can't manage what you don't measure. Maybe they have to do a food time log to see where they're wasting time. Yeah. Just like a food log. Right? I did that uh, about a couple of months ago because I was in this mode where I'm starting up a business and just always feeling busy. So sure. like, I got to just write everything down. So I did 15 minute increments. I did it for two weeks and I was like, yeah, I got plenty of time. Like it just very quickly revealed like there is stuff, there's huge gaps in here. I heard a study yesterday that said the average American, average, so this is middle of the road, watches a little bit over three hours of TV a day. A day. A day, which means that's 21 hours. Yeah. 
That's a, that's a, a week. That's that's uh, a two 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 <laughs> two working days. <laughs> two whole working days plus. Yeah. Put and that you're in. like, oh man, I just don't have time to get stuff done. You do. You're spending it somewhere else, man. Yeah. <laughs> so so and and I think that's that's part of our addiction to pleasure. TV right. is a quick pleasure, a dopamine boost. Yeah, okay? it's very consumer driven. But it's not it's not not going to give you contentment and joy. Right. And part of our culture with all the internet, with everything, it's all just quick dopamine things instead of joy. Connectivity, us talking makes us relax and raises our endorphins. Us visiting with people, with people we care about. Yeah. yeah. Eating junk food kicks up your dopamine. Having a meal with a friend and visiting kicks up your endorphins. It's a different experience. Mm. So the endorphins are build that connectivity with your friends and family and stuff. So that's another part of long-term change too, which reminds me is connectivity is your friends and your inner circle supporting you. Yeah. It's hard to make huge changes in your life. If you don't have a support group, not just your coach, but your spouse, your friends, your kids, if you're hanging out with people who just want to drink beer and eat nachos, you're going to have a hard time losing weight. Yeah. And that's something that it's one of the hardest hurdles to come from. So some of my long-term clients that comes on later, it's, it's difficult for people to make those changes early on, but I challenged, you know, yes. one actually brought it up to me and we started discussing it. I'm like, okay, so every time you hang out with this person, you make bad decisions. So what can we do to get out of that situation? What would you, what kind of advice would you give if people have people that are harming their goals but they're still friends and they're still family and they can't just never talk to them. Trying to recruit that person to help them, having that heart to heart, which is hard for people. If you're naturally a pretty passive person, you don't want to hurt that person's feeling, turn down their food, whatever. But this is really important to me and I want your support. And I would love it if you want to join me on my journey. Just let them know how important it is. And they may or may not respond to that. But I think if a person can express themselves, how important that is and how that change might make a huge difference in their life because if a person needs to lose 40 pounds for health reasons, not just vanity, it's going to make a huge difference in their life for healthcare down the road, for their energy, for their kids, for their grandkids, a lot of different things. And if that's important and this friend says you're important to them, they might want to change. They may not completely change, but they generally are going to get more supportive. And I think that's, that's learning how to say no to people you love and learning how to recruit them and use that language too. And again, listening to them. Well, I just love to have a good time. I like junk food. Well, I'm glad you do. But when we're together, can you decide you can eat the best meals you can and not try to push junk food on me? Because this is really important for me. And it's hard to turn it down if you put it in my face. Uh, one of the things I always tell people, if it's in the house, it's in the mouth. So if you have it around, my wife's got on board for me. She doesn't bring junk food home because she knows I'll eat it. She has incredible habits so if she wants a piece of junk food she has it and then doesn't have it for two months but if it's there i'm gonna find it and people struggling to have those conversations like what are you afraid of do you think if you go to somebody who truly cares about you and you say hey this is important if they say no i'm not going to do that then evidently they're not a good friend i think that's 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 what you have to and maybe people don't want to hear that yeah that's maybe, hard maybe people don't want to hear that but i do think people if they really do care about you they're at least start going in your direction they may not completely come in your direction but while they're around you and they might not offer you the junk food this goes all the way to an a working office the food in the uh, in, in the uh, break room uh, i have a guy he's an attorney he's done great he's lost about 25 pounds with us trying to lose his last 15 and uh, he's in control of the break room i said go talk to the person who buys stuff and you get what's you know, what's going to be a little healthier for people because your whole office could do better. And I would, people say, but I'm hungry. And I say, well, one of Coach Chris's sayings, and I've been saying this since high school, you're not really hungry if you're not hungry enough to eat an apple. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you go to a third world and you hand somebody an apple, they're going to eat it. My oh, kids yeah. will say that all the time. Like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, grab this. And they're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a great example. A chocolate <laughs> bar. And, that, and that's, those are cravings. So knowing the difference, and there's a great thing, knowing the difference between cravings and true hunger. Wow. Yeah. I don't know that a lot of us have experienced true hunger. I don't think so. In the last decade here in the. No. United States. And that might be a little experience. You do fasting for, for that reason, just to know, get a little comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm. which is, again, I talked about scratching every itch. Boy, I really am hungry. I've gone without eating 16 hours today. You know, my stomach's grumbling. Notice what that feels like, really feels like. But the thing is, we know we can get food. We're not going to die right. if we go another hour without it. For yeah. some reason, we let all those you know, primitive, I'm going to say thoughts or, or instincts make us think we're going to starve to death. We're not going to starve to death. I think part of it's our brain is wired for survival, right? Like you were yes. saying the way that fast food co- colors are that mm-hmm. make you think, oh, that's high, that's high nutrient, sugar. High, yeah, high, high, sure. high sugar, that'll get me full. I think our brains are wired to pre- find in, so they're wired to look for negative stuff so that we can protect ourselves. Absolutely. And so it's tough to get yourself in a mindset to be like, I don't, have to fill myself with negative stuff just because I'm wired to gravitate towards it. I think that is a great, this, this is really important about learning how to work out properly too. A lot of people just want to move the weight from A to B rather than really feel the tension in the muscle. Now, I don't want to make beginner sore, really anybody too sore unless they enjoy that. But learning how to really make the muscle contract is going to be against what your body is telling you to do because your body's saying, I need to do work and move that weight from A to B. Mm. I'm going to have my clients slow the, slow the movements down and get more time under tension, which is completely unnatural because instead of I'm doing work by moving it from A to B, I'm making the muscles do more work because I'm not trying to display strength. I'm trying to develop strength. So that's going to get a person a little more uncomfortable. So they're going to do something that's not natural. So to learn how to train properly is learn how to do things that aren't as efficient so you can get more out of them. So it's not like weight lifting. I call it, it's weight training. Right. Which is making a movement harder, not easier. When I say harder, not more dangerous because moving strength, things slower often is going to cause more time under tension and make it a lot more, but it also makes it very safe. Now there are other modalities you can speed up and do things, plyometrics, and there's other safe things you can do, but there's, there's, it's not natural to train intensely. Yeah. So you just talked about being wired a certain way. It's not natural to train intensely because again, we're for survival. Uh, The big paleo movement, we think of these big muscular cavemen. Primitives are very lazy. If you ever have seen a, a, a show on primitives, they go out and hunt and they kill, they eat it until it's gone. Then they nap and hang out until it's time to go do it again. They're not out scavenging every day. That's just not a, human nature. So that primitive movement with, I call it the paleo movement is kind of glamorized it. No GMO. Well, why do you think a carrot is orange? It's already been GMO'd. Carrots are ugly. (laughs) Root vegetables naturally. So there's a lot of things out there. And I'm not against trying to eat more natural foods. Matter of fact, that's the best change most Americans do is eat less processed food from uh, vegetables to, to animal proteins, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, that's actually one of, one of the things I always ask the guests, if you're saying, and so what I would ask is talking directly to listeners, what are the top three things you would have somebody change to make a difference in their life? So you just said one of them, yep. which was eat less processed foods. Eat less processed foods. Make yourself a priority. Make yourself a priority. Okay. So that's going to be the other one. And then find a community to support you. Right. 
Those I think, and, and that could be your coach as part of that community. So one of the things we've done at our place, Brandon, and I want you to come over and see it, is we started stacking our clients with like 15 minutes where there's always a crossover. Yeah. So they all get to know each other. And also some people, I want to train during this time with this person instead of in their room by themselves. So they've gotten to know each other and they all support each other. That power of community, I just can't, it's almost, it's like networking. It's like horsepower, right? Two horses together can pull infinitely more than just the equaling of two horses. Yeah. Like say, I'd forget this exact metrics of it, but say a horse can pull a thousand pounds. You'd think two horses can pull 2000. No, it's way more. It's like 10,000. Yeah. Crazy. And, And it's, it's the same thing. We have these guys kind of, missing each other and then we got them all at the same time you guys are all getting on something a piece of cardio because you're not doing any for about 20 minutes because they were doing like nothing but all doing it together they were able to accomplish it and make that better habit of getting them a little more uh, low impact cardio so i think those are three that that make a lot of sense to me and if a person can make those changes they're going to do it with people they care about once you start eating less processed food, you're going to start enjoying less processed food your brain and your gut is going to start telling you like that and you're going to start feeling better just like you, you got away from coffee, you drank coffee, you're like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Coffee's not necessarily like this huge taboo f- food, but that. you get away from, if you're a junk food eater, you get away from it and you eat it, it's going to about make you sick. <laughs> but let's say, I mean, just think about like maybe from my body's perspective, let's say this was having this long-term cumulative bad effect and then I put it back in my body and my body's like, nah, you don't need that back. <laughs> well, 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 if you were drinking 10 cups a day, it very well may have been taking you in that direction, yeah. you know, so... I think it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm curious to see if your blood pressure comes down. Yeah, I, I I feel like so I used to like at night feel like overwhelmed, like and the I would describe it as what felt like my heart was working extra hard, just feeling like tired in bed. I feel like ten cups of coffee might contribute to that. Yeah. T- tired and anxious all at the same time. Yes, would be that feeling, and yeah. I get that way if I get overstimulated. But, too. but I don't have that feeling anymore, and I fall I fall to sleep wow. a lot easier. Where I used to have to watch two, three hours of TV to wind down and shut my brain off. Now I'll like start a movie and 15 minutes in I'm asleep, which I've been wanting to, like my wife can fall asleep in five minutes and I've been wanting to emulate that for our entire <laughs> marriage. I'm like, that's like a superpower, superpower I want to yes. have. Well, well, now you're talking about the fourth thing is helping people rest and recover. Mm-hmm. Sleep deprivation is huge in our country and definitely is a contributor to obesity and over fatness. But you're not, you're not at your best. I mean, just because you can go on five hours of sleep a night doesn't mean you should. And I was one of those who did that for years. Again, a big reason I would have to go on a diet and off a diet because I'm only sleeping five hours a night and then I'm training hard on the other side. It's going to mess up your hormones, your your appetite hormones, satiety hormones. And my son, uh, Coach David, who, who subs for us sometimes always says, yeah, it's interesting. At 1130 at night, you never reach for a chicken breast and a spinach salad. No, because yeah. your body wants quick energy, yeah. so it's seeking out sugar <laughs> right. just to keep it awake. Right, right. Yeah. So, so I think that would be maybe four is teaching people how to rest and recover. Our society thinks we have to be busy all the time, and I don't know if that's that healthy. I mean, I love our capitalist society. I think it's a good thing, but learning how to have downtime is also super important yeah. because you're never performing at your best, and we've kind of pushed this idea that we can uh, multitask. You really don't multitask. You focus on something, you focus on something else, you focus on something else, and then you come back. But you're better off focusing on one thing at a time and giving it your your the best you have that day 
and then focusing on something else rather than trying to do four things at a time. So I think that heightened state of arousal with caffeine makes you feel like you can do that. Yeah. It had never been explained to me until speaking with Brandon that it had that half-life scenario. Mm. So by the time that it was nine o'clock and I'm ready to bed, I still had six cups of coffee in me, seven cups of coffee in me. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah, of course I wasn't falling asleep like that. <laughs> when was your last cup usually in the day? I usually cut it off at 3 p.m. Yeah. That would be yeah. when I drink my last cup. So what he's referring to is uh, the half-life of caffeine. The theory is if you have 100 milligrams at, let's say, 1 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, there's still 50 milligrams left of caffeine floating in your system. So if you've had 1,000 milligrams, and let's say it's been nine hours, which is a long time, you may still have 500 milligrams of caffeine trying to buffer itself out of your system yeah that's a long that's a lot of coffee a lot of caffeine and again i think and and i'm sure been guilty of it getting that overstimmed state makes you feel like you're really busy and getting a lot of stuff done but you're probably really not performing at your best Yeah. yeah i don't think i ever felt like i need caffeine like i don't think i've i think it was like you were saying it was almost just a habit it was a habit it was a habit i put into my life i drink warm cup of coffee now uh, that's what warm I do. Cup of water, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, warm cup of water. That's awesome. I think that's a, that's a, sounds like it's a really good change for you. So you made a good habit change and it's, it's already paying off for you. You're sleeping better. Yeah. You're winding down better. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it's only been what, 10 weeks? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. So. That's great. That's great. So what do you think is the biggest myth, Brandon, in our industry? You know, I always thought it was exercise more, eat less. Mm-hmm. And for many people, that's the wrong decision, especially if there's blood sugar concerns, especially if they have adrenal issues, Mm -hmm. they don't need to be doing chronic cardio, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to finding out what's going on hormonally Mm -hmm. and doing what their body responds best to. But I think the industry, in my opinion, the industry's biggest myth is exercise more, eat less. That's the way to do it. Yes. And and I'm going to agree. That's one of the biggest myths out there. It's out there on TV you know, celebrity trainers, everything like that. And if you can't do that, something's wrong with you. You're lazy instead of, wow, I'm already exhausted and I'm supposed to exercise more. I believe in science-driven workouts. I think that makes complete sense. Exercise is a science. Let's get people the best results for the time and effort. However, what I discovered at Personally Fit, I had probably about a year ago, I had everybody do three words that explain Personally Fit to them. I was thinking it was going to be all this science-driven workouts. Fun was number one. Yeah. Two was community or friends. And three was accountability or results. Wow. So what the behavior change specialists talk about is if you're not having fun, you're not going to stay around for, for three to six months to start seeing results. Yeah, that's a good point. And that fun is a lot of times not just the coaches, but the other customers there. Yeah. That reminds me of a question I get asked a lot. Is uh, free weights better or is machines? And I'm like, I, I used to always say free weights, free weights, free weights, because I know it can get better results. But the truth is whatever you'll stick to. So <laughs> sustainability if, is yeah. always the best answer. So, so you. if you're scared of free weights and you're uncomfortable and you hate them, then no, do machines. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm the same way. They're all just tools. Do the things that you're going to stick with the most. That's a great point. Now, tell if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or, or learn more about personally sure. fit, how would they how would they do that? I'm giving you my office number, leave a number, a name, 919-832-8484. That's at our studio in downtown Raleigh. We're at personallyfit.net. We have a great Facebook. You can contact us there. You can also on our website, personallyfit.net, you'll be able to uh, have, have a place there to contact us. So please do uh, ask some questions. We love helping people who've never been successful at fitness and helping them really integrate fitness into their life. They're going to do it and meet some new friends that are going to encourage them and help them, not just their coaches. 
and they're going to have lifelong habits. My longest term client I've had since 1988. Wow. I have six other clients from 1992. And most of the people who come to personally fit are five to 10 years with us. So guys, the industry standard is three to six months, just so you know. So these guys are the real deal. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And we don't take it for granted because we know how hard this industry is. And even though we're successful, it is still a very challenging industry. So we don't take our customers for granted. I talk about love. I really do love my customers and try it. Fitness is one way to, to do that is help them get results. But we, we really care about our folks there. Let them know we care about them in other ways just besides giving them a good workout. And that keeps them coming around. Yeah, you absolutely get the fire within stamp of approval. We, I 100% endorse what you guys do. Uh, so guys, if you know if you're looking for uh, a community that can help you grow with your goals and 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 love you and support you, please check out Personally Fit, um, and Coach Chris. They they do some great work there. Thanks so much, Brandon. It's really been a pleasure. Always good to see you t- again too, Joe. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. 